what's life if there's not, you know, the joy of something coming out of the ether, you know, it's just like, it's the greatest thing. I mean, I know John knows this because I think playing drums is, is one of the great ways to experience that. But when you just sit down to do something and all of a sudden you come up with something and it's only you and you get this feeling like, wow, I created something out of nothing today. This is a new angle. And I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey, folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. You know, we've been doing these COVID collab episodes on a weekly basis, and they seem to be resonating with the community. I really wanted to use the platform we've built to help disseminate important information and help people understand what's happening around them. I've also been thinking about ways to help spread some joy to get people stoked. So I figured bringing you the voices of two awesome members of our community would help. Jeff Ament and John Wicks are both previous guests on A New Angle, and they've both supported the podcast in many ways, most notably in the music we use for the show and the drum coffee we enjoy in Studio 49. These guys have developed a special bond through shared experience and a shared connection to this wonderful place we live in, Montana. I'm excited for you to hear from these two legit rock stars and real dudes right now. Okay, so super stoked to be here today with Jeff Ament, John Wicks. Fellas, thanks so much for uh, freeing up some time to, to share with the podcast today. Our pleasure. Hey, Justin. Yeah, so I say freeing up some time. Uh seems like you guys <laughs> might have a lot of time on your hands here. I mean, you're in a moment where seems like might feel like the rug's been pulled out from underneath you. A lot of people feel that, but, um, you know, Jeff, you were about to release an album, cancel the tour early. John, were you on tour when, uh, when kind of this started, uh, coming to a peak? Yeah. Yeah. We, we were at the very, thankfully, <laughs> Thankfully, we were at the tail end of it, and we only had to cancel the last two shows. Um, <laughs> the second to last one, I felt terrible for our crew because they went in. It was in Redding, California, and they went in and set everything up. And right when they got done setting up and we were about to sound check, they canceled. So they just had to turn around and put everything back in the truck. And um, we just sat on the stage and got drunk for the rest of the day and and called it good and then we found out like 10 minutes later that that the next show uh in ventura was close or, or had been canceled so um so it was just those last two thankfully because you know as jeff can attest to financially that's a big hit uh so uh we felt really fortunate um however i'm i'm actually technically supposed to be on tour again in like a week and all of those got canceled. So um, they're kind of going through a process now. And I'm, I'm sure Jeff is dealing with the same thing where they're taking a lot of the dates that were going to be earlier in the tour and then moving them towards the end and sort of just shuffling everything later. Um, but we'll see how it works because I'm sure everybody's doing the same thing. You know? Yeah, kind of a mad scramble there. Um, Jeff, you guys were kind of at the front end, uh, like an early mover in deciding to to postpone your tour, you know, in retrospect, that yeah. kind of decisional leadership is going to look great. But talk about uh, what that felt like at the time. Well, it was it was it was brutal. We were all in Seattle. Um, I'd actually come out to Missoula for two days and seen a couple of Grizz games on the weekend, and 
it was amazing just getting out of Seattle and coming out here. It's sort of like the hysteria went away that I'd been feeling in Seattle the previous week. And so I went back to the meeting probably a little less um, uh, anxious. <laughs> and we ended up having about three days of pretty hard conversations because uh uh, there's, I mean, our, our, all of our trucks, all of our lighting people, everybody was in Albany, New York, uh, setting stuff up, working through the lights. We, you know, uh, we were looking through lighting schemes every day for three or four days. And then we were, we were scheduled to go to, go to Albany, like two days after we, um, postponed the tour. And, uh, and it, it, it was, it felt a little bit weird because the only thing that had been canceled at that point were a couple of festivals. Um, no bands had canceled tours. And so it felt like we were, we were taking a little, like a little bit of a big chance, especially if somehow, some way the government was actually doing what they were supposed to be doing and they, and they would have like nipped it in the bud a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and we've been on the phone, you know, every couple of days since then, just sort of talking about, what's going to happen the rest of the year, which does not feel great from what I know. Um, I, I just don't know how you, with the history of pandemics and the history of uh, how these things work and how they stay, how the viruses stay alive. I don't know how you put more than five or 10 people in a room together for the next year. That's, that's, that's my understanding at this point. Um, yeah, playing arenas yeah. with 50, 60, 80, 100,000 yeah. people just seems like a recipe for big problems. Um, yeah. And, and talk about, um, you know, moving, coming in from Seattle and back to Missoula and back to Seattle. You know, talk about that. You mentioned being in Missoula was a bit of a break from the hysteria. And I would assume that being in Seattle, you know, kind of at the tip of the spear there, that might have contributed to, to you guys being so um, proactive with, with making that decision early. Yeah, well, we, we, we know people that work in the hospitals in Seattle, and my niece is an is a RN um, at a hospital in Seattle. And so we were, we were getting sort of firsthand accounts of <laughs> how brutal it was for these elderly people to basically be on a ventilator for two weeks and then pass yeah. like you know it was it was it was pretty horrific to hear these stories and and to hear people weeping on the phone and you know just saying how's you know sort of the worst part of their job was you know slow death and so um um and so you know it's like and, and, we, and we were we were just getting a lot of you know, the real information on this stuff right around that time in early March, you know, and I mean, we were hearing stuff was happening in, in China. My, actually the guy that I just worked out with Brian, um, he lived in China for 10 years and his, his son and his uh, ex are still there or, or they were there. And they, I think it was like um, January 20th, they got kind of the last flight they could get out of Beijing and went to Moscow, uh, Moscow, Russia, so they could get to their grandparents. So he could get to his grandparents' house in wow. Germany. Um, and if he wouldn't have gotten out then they would have been, they would have been stuck in China, but that was like, that was January 20th. Wow. So there, so, so we, you know, there, there was things going on pretty early on <laughs> that for some reason we weren't, you know, 
we weren't afraid of it, you know, for whatever reason. So, yeah, I mean, you were, you're getting a front row seat to some of the, the grim realities and, you know, at, at that point in the context of all that, you know, concerts and so forth seem like minor decisions. Um, so John, you guys pulled the plug on, on the last couple of episodes and, you know, it's, that's got to feel like so anticlimactic as far as this thing you've been building toward for a long while. Um, what happens at that stage? You just come back to Missoula? Well, it's funny. You kind of just nailed it. It was very anticlimactic. It was kind of like getting to the finals of a tournament. And then the other team just says, oh, that's okay. You can just have it. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> you know, and all of us, it was kind of a weird thing to put your finger on at the time, because I think, you know, that was like a six or seven week run. And I think, I mean, it, we'd been following it on the news. And then at one point someone set up a, a website called, is it canceled yet.com or something like that. And we were like, you know, like, uh, Austin city limits got canceled South by Southwest got canceled Coachella got canceled. Like all these things were getting canceled left and right. And I'm sitting next to my lighting designer on the bus. And, and at one point he just saw $40,000 go up in smoke, you mm -hmm. know, like from, from corporate shows he was going to do after our tour ended. And so, uh, you know, everyone was pretty stressed out. And I think we were all after we were pretty crispy at the end of, you know, that, that run. And we were pretty stoked for the tour to end, but then we didn't want it to end that way. You know, you kind of, it's sort of a supposed to be a celebratory thing at the end of a tour. And it wasn't that per se. It was, um, it was, yeah, it was weird. It was, it was very strange, but, and then just for me, like just even the flight home to Missoula was scary. You know, yeah, like, yeah. that was, that was weird. You know, I, I was like, well, what do I do? Do I just drive back, you know? And, and um, yeah, so, it, you know, it's scary. And then the after effect of that was that looking at our tour routing that we had just done, you know, like I had just spent close to a week in New York City, you know, and like was in every hot spot throughout the U.S. where this thing was really blowing up. So I was completely paranoid when I got back home and just that paranoia is is just exhausting like thinking okay do i have it how i'm gonna wait do i have to wait two weeks to figure this out at that point they weren't really testing you know here in missoula mm -hmm. and and then i was worried that i was going to give it to my family you know and i was you know and then I, of course i'm just tired after six weeks of bad sleep you know and and i'm like okay i definitely have it you know and uh it's you know it was just it's freaky you know I've, I've sort of now just gotten over it and realized that that this social distancing is is pretty awesome for me it's kind of like it's sort of what I do anyways when I'm at <laughs> home because I just I just want to be in a practice room practicing or or out in the hills running around or or biking or whatever so so for me it's it's I I kind of dig it actually but my kids are going nuts you know yeah, the kid piece is tough. Um, just, you know, particularly as the weather's starting to get a little nicer, they want to get outside, they want to run around, they want to see their friends. They don't, they sort of understand on, on some scales, but, you know, the sense of loss for children is is really interesting and manifests in different ways. Like I was putting my younger daughter to bed the other night. She's, she's eight years old and she just started crying. And I was like, Charlotte, what 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 is so wrong? And she said, 
I'm afraid I'm not going to make it to the third grade. Oh, and geez. you're like, wow, that is such like a, a, a beautifully innocent, um, but also kind of tragic, uh, state of mind. And I mean, that's how it, that it's manifesting in, in strange ways or in different ways for different people. And that's like, it's, we're all in this together, but we experience it differently. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, that's heavy. That is heavy. So, how did the two of you first meet? Did you cross paths in, in the Seattle scene early on, or was it was it until you realized you had the Montana connection? <laughs> it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. Is uh, Jeff and I, the degrees of separation between he and I since like <laughs> 91, 92 has been literally one person. Wow. Like, and, and that one person is like several different people. Like I went to high school with some of Jeff's bandmates in the eighties. And then I worked at a cafe in Seattle called Uptown Espresso. Mm-hmm. And my best buddy, Curtis, wa- I worked with him there. And then I, I moved on and sort of like lost touch with Curtis and, and Jeff had also was dear friends or is dear friends with Curtis as well and continued to be. And I sort of lost touch, but Jeff and I really hadn't met other than I used to make his coffee, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, that was, that was about it, you know? And, but it's, it's crazy. Like how many folks, you know, I growing up in Seattle, obviously in the music scene there, even though I wasn't, we were in different worlds. At that point, Jeff had, was, you know, had gone to the moon, you know, and that his, his band, you know, was, it was another level. And I, I was just playing jazz music around Seattle, but at the same time, you know, that it's a, at that time, Seattle had a very small town feel to it. And, um, and we had a bunch of friends in common. So anyways, that's my long roundabout way of saying uh, I had moved back to Missoula with my wife, Jenna, and uh, our buddy, Charlie Beaton, yep. um, told me that um, our friends, uh, Kiefer and Rhea, were having a, a Christmas party at their gym. Okay. And so I was like, cool, you know, I'll come down have a beer and and then Jeff was there and it was kind of my opportunity to say hey man I wanted mainly I wanted to get back in touch with Curtis uh you know and he was still is you know still super tight with him and so I was like man how's he doing and uh, and then that was it and Jeff has become um one of my best buddies and and a real a soundboard for me um he's been in this world that I'm in a lot longer than I have, you know, I was in the jazz world, you know, for many years, just playing $50 gigs, whereas Jeff has been in the industry part of it um, for a lot longer. And he's been a huge resource for me, as well as just being a dear friend. He's been a huge resource for me um, because it's a sketchy business, you know, and, and he uh, has, has talked me down off a ledge a couple of times now since, since we've connected, you know? Um, so I cherish the friendship very much and it's just great to have, you know, I don't know. There's something magical about having Missoula in common between Jeff and I, and that it takes away all of the BS and I'm able to 
to talk to Jeff as uh, as a friend and not have all of the external voices interrupting. Yeah, you know that it's makes great sense. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so Jeff, I, I know that John pulls a mean shot of espresso. Did he pull a good shot back in the day at uh, at Uptown? Yeah, I mean, Uptown was like my neighborhood jam. I mean, I went there every single day. I was like, I played basketball like two or three days a week with Dow, uh, Rao, who owned the shop, and yeah, Curtis. maybe we, maybe let's talk about Dow for a moment because the two of yeah. you just made that beautiful tribute to him and, and, and his passing. I think it was a little over a year ago and you've been generous enough for us to use that music, but, but at some point in your, I'm sorry to interrupt Jeff, but at some point in that story, you talk about Dow a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Dow was just, he was just such a character. I mean, he, there's something about, you know, I mean, I worked at a coffee shop called the Raison Debt in Seattle in the eighties and I knew the people that owned uh, a, a few other coffee shops and they're all weirdos. They're all like, <laughs> I mean, no offense, John, I think you're part of the modern coffee shop <laughs> owner, um, but, um, but they were, they were sort of polarizing. A lot of those owners were polarizing. And then they were also, they brought the coolest people together. And the uptown was one of those places. Like, like everybody who worked there was, had something else going on creatively. They were all, everybody who worked there was artists and some, or at least thought like artists. And so yeah. when you went in there, it was like, not only were you getting your coffee, but it was like, it was like your community center. And it was your, it was your therapist. And it was all, you know, it was like going to the barber in the old days, you know, mm-hmm. like where you, you sit and it's like your fraternity and the, you know, your neighborhood's there. And, and, um, and the Uptown, until things got really super weird for me in around 93, like I went there every single day I was home. Wow. And it was, it was, it was sort of my social hour or two. Um, and, uh, and Dow promoted that heavily. Like he, the weirder, the, the people that came in and the, and the more, uh, um, variety of people that came in, the more psyched he was about it. And, he, he didn't come from that. His family wasn't, his family was like a real estate, um, you know, like a money family, like a financial family. And Dow had that in him, but he also loved people so much. And, uh, I, you know, I'm just so grateful that that was like in my neighborhood. And, you know, and that's, you know, that's the reason that John and I are friends is because Dow <laughs> created this place and John worked there and we had a connection through my friend Curtis and uh, now we're in Missoula, where we have that in common, where it's like we're working musicians and we understand the crazy value of getting out of that world and coming to a place where we can be in the outdoors and we can be around normal people and, you know, just forget about, I mean, it's being in, being in, a, in a band with crowds coming and singing along and clapping in between every song. It's a weird, the adulation part is a weird mind fuck. Yeah. So to to come back here and and to have it just be real. And you're like, you know, if you go on a bike ride with your friends and you you know, you get a flat tire, your friend's not going to change your tire for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are you speaking from experience? (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm not leaving hanging like that. No, <laughs> but 
Yeah, so. I gotta, I gotta think. Like, it's gotta be weird. I mean, we had it was a couple summers ago. Um, there was that Traveler's Rest music festival, and and Death Cab came through town, and, and I, I've met yeah. Ben Gibbard a little bit through the through the running scene, and we connected for a run the morning before his show. And then we went to the show and it, it, it was like, you go for this run, you have this great time. It's just such a normal hang. And then you go to the show and, and it's really cool to be there. But then you look up and you're like, wow, that like it's such a different existence than being a normal guy going for a ride or run or whatever it is. So I could see, I mean, I can't even really understand the, the, the perspective that you two have um, being on that side of it. But um, to be able to, Come, I, I don't think you could you could be on like that all the time, or if, if you did, it would probably be pretty taxing. I would imagine. Um, I I mean I can speak to it to a certain extent. I you know uh, I can't even fathom what Jeff's dealt with. You know, since what we we're talking about since '93 or whatever. Um, that level is a whole nother level than than I can speak to. Um, but what I can speak to is, um, you know, it's just a, it's such a drastic lifestyle change, you know, especially being in quarantine right now, yeah. like going from a different city every day, you know, six shows a week, different city every day to coming and not only being in the same city, but not being able to leave your house is, um, it's pretty trippy right now, you know, even though, like I said earlier, I enjoy being, you know, isolated and practicing and, and working on my craft, that part of it I like, but it's, it's a very different lifestyle. You know, you go from having a tour manager who does basically everything for you and just pushes you on stage and you're, you just do it for an hour and a half. Uh, and, and then you're done and then you eat pizza and you, go get on the bus and, and, and that's it to coming back and having a mailbox full of bills and kids, you know, and a wife who's looking at you like, okay, you're going to take this on, you know? And, and so it's, it's just a very, very different lifestyle for me. And in that way, as far as the adulation goes, um, being the drummer in this band, you know, I, I'm, I'm relatively anonymous back there. I, I don't, you know, like I go in airports and no one knows who the heck I am, unless there's some drummer nerd or whatever, you know, they'll come up and say, Hey, but I, I can't, I can't fathom that uh, level that, that Jeff's had to deal with for, for an ex such a long time now. And Jeff, how about, I mean, let's talk about, I want to talk about the new album a little bit, but within that, like I would have to assume there's sort of a, a natural rhythm of some kind to, building an album, releasing an album, and then going on tour to promote that album. And when you're recording, I don't know if you're sort of thinking of some of these songs, how they're going to play live and, and some of that, but, but can you maybe talk a little bit about like what that process has sort of traditionally been for you? And then, you know, this situation has been so different. It has to be very disruptive. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, the, the unique part about, making this record is we started this record three years ago okay. and uh and we we started doing it just on our own with uh with josh and john who are um 
guys that sort of work in our warehouse studio that we just built three years ago. Um, and uh, we thought maybe in the middle of it somewhere, we would have Brendan O'Brien, who's been involved with most of our records. We thought we'd bring him in and, uh, and we did for a couple of days. And at the end of it, we were sort of like, ah, I liked it better before. Like it, it felt like we were working at our own pace and we were taking more chances and there wasn't, um, it's the good and the bad. It's like the bad part is that we procrastinate like crazy and um, somebody would come in one day and not like what somebody did the day before. And so there's just this, and as long as we just kept trusting each other and kept it moving, it was fine. Um, but to get, you know, to finally get the record out and to feel like, I feel more proud of this record than probably any record we've made in the last 20 years, mm -hmm. um, mainly because we did it on our own and we took chances and there's four or five tunes on the record that were songs we would never have, they, they never would have gotten past the demo stage because they were, it felt like maybe they were outside of what we considered ourselves to be as a band. And, and I, and to have everybody on board with those songs and to have those songs be on the record and to be in rehearsals for two weeks. And, you know, a couple of the weirder songs took a little while, but then they started to turn into something and then it started to be really good. And then all of a sudden it was like, we can play every one of these songs live. <laughs> and that's such an awesome process, especially having been in a band for 30 years, like, to feel like we're doing something new still. And, and John can attest to this, like music is so vast and rhythms and melodies and possible, the possibilities of making music are so vast that when you can break through, you know, to a new level with a group that you've uh, been doing it with for so long it's just such magic it's like you know and and you know like John was saying being comfortable here and being in his you know practice place and working up new things I mean being a drummer it's like you know the possibilities of what you can do with your two legs and your two hands are infinite and um, and so I think we both understand like that this is a lifelong journey um, you know, in being a, a musician and being writers and, and, and all of that. But um, so I think I got off topic a little bit, but it's, but we were, you know, we, we were in a really good place before the tour got postponed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we were, we were really cranked to play these songs live. And so, and okay. we're just, it's going to happen, but it's going to be a while. Hey man, is that, I was in my truck, yesterday and i heard that tune retrograde is that one of the new ones yeah yeah that that tune is killing oh my god Love yeah, and, that was, and that was one where you know if we would have been you know in the studio with brendan and and he and he's so good at just like tightening everything up and having every little having every bar be meaningful we probably would have lost that whole outro. And to me, that's the best part of the song. You know? Yeah, I agree. It's like, it's like, I mean, the front part of the song is amazing, but the fact that it goes into this, you know, space jam at the end and- Yeah, yeah. It's really nice. 
yeah, it is cool. Super cool. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Steve Albini, and you're listening to A New Angle. And at what stage of that, I mean, it's probably different for different tunes. I mean, there's probably tunes where you start, I would imagine, thinking about how it would play live early on. And then others, like you said, it, it kind of takes you a while to sort of figure out how that would translate. Is that at all part of the, the calculus with, with making music? It's, it's, not for, it's not for me. I don't think it is for really anybody in the band. It might, once the song starts to, um, you know, once the lyrics start to get finished up and then, you know, the song is really starting to come together, then you can, you have these thoughts like, wow, this is going to be great live. Mm-hmm. And, and Ed, almost every record, there's a, there's a lyric or two that you, you just know that the crowd's going to respond to. Like, you know, th- that's going to be inclusive and going to like, it, it's going to provide a connection, which he, that's, you know, Ed has many strengths, but that's like my favorite thing about him is how he can write something that makes everybody in the room feel like he's talking to them. And that's, um, and there's a, and there's a few moments like that on this record. Once we started rehearsing those songs, it was sort of like, Oh, live, this is just going to crush, yeah, you know? And, yeah. and some of them are more rock moments and some of them are quieter moments, but um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 my favorite moment in, uh, you know, the Fits and the Tantrums has been a band for just, well, for 10 years now. And like two records in, we had an opportunity that we haven't had on any other records, which was we, we wrote these tunes and then before a single was chosen by anybody, um, we had the opportunity to play them live and see hmm reaction and you know that was when like out of my league came out and the walker came out and it was so immediately evident which ones should be the singles because we played them you know live and saw that saw the reaction and got the feedback from the crowd so that and i'm not sure why we haven't done it that way again i i'm well i am sure why it's because you get too many voices that want to be heard that are outside of the group but it's a drag, you know, because I w- it was such a beautiful thing to have that and have basically that decision out of our hands, you know, like it was just made for us, you know, and it, it was. And so that that was really cool. And I, I I wish we would do that again. It's pretty it's pretty great. So I got to thank for for both of you. I mean, you've got with, with Pearl Jam so many years in the bank and with Fitz 10 years and counting. Um I mean, when you, when you go through a creative process now with new music within your bands, is it, there's, there's, I would sense that there's at least a feeling that, you know, you've got fewer repetitions ahead of you than you have behind you. And, um, there must, that must add something to the process. Um, you know, Jeff, maybe speak to that. How's it been different as, as, as the bands progressed and you, you've gotten so mature in your, in your approach? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, for me personally, um, you know, I sort of feel like the last 10 years I've, 
And and it's it started when my like my best friend passed eleven years ago. I, I there was sort of a I sort of looked at my watch and went like, "Wow, this is this could stop at any time." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I I sort of like was reinvigorated by that, and I just it's a part of my day. A part of my day is like I go in and I and I try to write something, um, you know, like it's, it could be a lyric or it just could be a beat or a melody or whatever, but I try to get something moving every day. And um, so, yeah, so I, you know, there, there probably is, you know, some of that drive comes from just, you know, your mortality and, uh, and realizing that, you know, you, you spend your whole youth not thinking about any of that. You're just like, I mean, at least for me personally, I was just like gravitating towards energy and the people I wanted to be around and the things that I love to do. And it, I wasn't really driven by anything other than that. And, and and I still am driven by that, but I'm more driven right now to be like, to just dive into the art more, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it can be any part of it you know I started painting a lot seven eight years ago it's just you know it's just like all these things that I've always wanted to have more time to do I've sort of made more time to do those things because you know it's like what's life if you there's not the you know the joy of that feeling of something coming out of the ether you know it's just like it's the greatest thing I mean I know John knows this because I think playing drums is is one of the great um, ways to experience that. But when you just sit down to do something and all of a sudden you come up with something and it's only you and your thing and you you get this feeling like, wow, I created something out of nothing today. And it's just such an awesome, it's, you know, to me, it's the best thing that life has to offer is that feeling, that feeling of like, that of wonder that you had when you were a kid, when you learn how to ride a bike or learn how to skate or learn how to swim or any of the, those things, you know, um, if you did it on your own, it was a little bit more special. So. Yeah, that's really well put. That That's really well put. I couldn't agree more. And there's one thing that I figured out um, over the years is that, that, the, the only thing that we're going to do that's original is our mistakes. So mm-hmm. everything, you know, there's, there's only so many notes in music and there's only so many chords. And, and so, and every, you know, everything that we play normally is, is filtered through all of our influences over the years. So essentially it's been played or thought of and, and until we make a mistake. And then when you make a mistake, that's no one else has done that. So what I figured out is that if I practice, a lot of times I'll sit down at the drums and just start playing until I can't pull something off. And then I'll just, I'll just work on that. And because that no one's shown me how to do that through some YouTube video or, or a book or or whatever, that's me. So I'm going to repeat that over and over and try to make that into something that maybe down the road I'll use, maybe it won't, but like Jeff just described, it's that, that cool feeling of discovery of something that just came out of the ether. And, um, and so I really try to focus in on the mistakes and, and look forward to the mistakes. And, you know, I don't teach very many kids now, but I, I, I try to, especially, <laughs> especially right now, but, uh, but I try to teach kids 
And when I do, that's something that I try to sort of uh, instill in them is, is to be okay with making mistakes. And um, once they do that, you just, once, once they realize that it's okay for them to make mistakes around me and around themselves is they, they, their whole demeanor changes and they, they, and I, that childlike quality that Jeff just described is, is something that I want them to hold on to as long as they possibly can. And, and, uh, and that's that fear of making a mistake is definitely something that I think truncates childhood uh, way too quickly. And so with my own kids and with kids that I teach, I try to say, okay, what was that, that you just screwed up? Let's repeat that, you know, and, and give them license to, to look forward to the mistakes. Yeah. It would seem like a time right now. We mentioned this before we started recording that, you know, the two of you in particular, like you, you're hold up, you got the self-isolation thing and, you know, Jeff, you mentioned you're trying to do something every day, um, creatively, like what, what do you, this is such a strange time for people. It's gotta be a moment where we're going to have some interesting art of a variety of kinds once we, that will emerge once we kind of get through this or maybe are emerging right now. Um, what do you think about that, Jeff? Yeah. You think we're going to see some interesting art come out of this? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think there was already um, the possibility of some great art coming out this year because of it being an election year, um, mm-hmm. and there's and there's just some things going on right now that maybe not everybody's on board with. And but I think you throw this into the mix. I mean, I I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and I said it's absolutely the best and worst time to be an artist, and and mainly because like if you're a working artist and it doesn't not even just a musician, but if you're a painter or you're a writer and you're going on a book tour or any of those things, like that's all gone. Like your, your, your real way to make money is gone. Um, But on the, on the good side of it is that there's something about this isolation that it, provides you with a lot more canvas than you're used to. Um, and I'm, I, I'm just trying to pivot and go like, I'm going to take what, you know, I'm going to take what the, the, wor- the world's going to give me. And if the world's giving me time right now, that's like, that's pretty good. Like as time is um, something that we usually, you know, if you got a lot of things going on and if you have families and that sort of thing, like, time is of the essence. Like you, you know, if you get an hour to do, to take a run or play music or do the things that you love to do, you, you, you take it. And, you know, now we've, everybody has a lot of time. So I, and I, and I, and I think there's going to be a lot of introspection and people are going to be thinking about things on a much more intense level because there's so much at stake right now. I mean, I mean, hopefully the, hopefully the world comes out of this with, um, you know, a new appreciation for uh, like, it's okay to do a little bit less. We don't have to be constantly going to the next place and, and, you know, the skies are full of planes and the oceans are full of boats and the Walmarts are full of plastic and we're running around getting all this stuff and accumulating this stuff and staying busy because it's sort of like, human nature and there's something really amazing about right now where that stuff's none of that stuff's important what's important right now is like i need to keep my parents alive i need to keep my grandparents alive i need to keep my family safe i need to like make sure my community's safe 
Um, if somebody's not on board with it, I got to have a hard conversation with them and say like, you can't get on a plane tomorrow or those, those things. And it's, uh, it's been kind of awesome in that regard. Cause I've had more real conversations in the last couple three weeks with some of my friends and family than I've had in years. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for that. That is cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that deeply resonates. And as you're saying that too, like the, I think we're going to realize that we spend too much time in front of screens as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause now it's like we have so much time in front of screens and you're feeling, at least I'm feeling the, the sort of physical and mental um, taxes of that. And, and yeah, there's, yeah, I think that's very well put Jeff. Um, John, one thing I wanted to ask you is like, you, you came off from tour, but you also got a couple businesses here in town. Um, mm-hmm. You know, both of you are employers in the sense that you got this whole infrastructure um, around the production of your music and your, your tours, and that's been disrupted, but you've also got employees here in town that are, that are uh, disrupted. I know you're doing some cool things with drum, but um, tell us about how the decisions to manage the store kind of played out in the last few weeks. Yeah, a lot of those decisions were unfortunately made for us. You know, um, they were tough, really, really tough. We have three cafe, well, two and a half really cafes here in town, and a um, little over twenty employees. And uh, it became very apparent very quickly that um, we were going to have to lay off most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we just didn't have the work for them you know, and, um, so we, we closed the kiosk downtown and we closed our South Avenue cafe and then realized that we had the blessing of, of the drive-through over on East Broadway so that we could limit the, the touching part of things and keep the distance happening. And, and, um, and then we're also blessed that we have this roasting operation that, uh, all of a sudden, the online orders just went through the roof. Right. So um, really psyched about that. The, the bad part was that we had to, you know, lay off 14 people that are like family to us. And, and just the worry of how that is construed to them. Um, uh, you know, we consider them essential. And, um, but I can't imagine that that really feels that way to them when they get laid off. Um, but so we sort of left it to them who is wanting to continue and sort of gave them, let them do their own timeline. Like, okay, how, how long do you want to keep going? How many shifts, you know, with what we have available, how many of you want to take a shift? Um, and they sort of made the decisions uh, to help us along and, you know, and then we, we paid them sort of a bridge uh, uh, a couple of weeks so that they could uh, file for unemployment. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, we're lucky in the sense that we keep the, op- the roasting operation happening, but, sure. um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was, it's a drag, man. It, you know, I, I don't, that's the last thing I'd ever want to do is lay somebody off. But the bright side of it is, is that, that, you know, sort of realized that, you know, with us sheltering in place that you feel completely helpless to help the people that are, are, 
um, really on the front lines. And, um, uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, by that, I mean, the folks working in the ER and the ICU. And, and then I realized, you know, I only do two things really well, you know, which is playing drums and, and making coffee. So I, I don't think they're going to want a drum solo in the ER. And so I decided to be like, let's, let's make them some coffee. So we brought down coffee to the ER and, and they've made it very easy for us just to drop it, you know, at the front door and they come out and grab it. And, and so that we're safe. And, and then I realized that that, that felt really, really good. And everyone should feel that good. So we just did literally one Instagram post and said, Hey, if you want to sponsor a coffee delivery to the ER, um, then, then, you know, click this button and, and we'll do it. And it's just within the first five minutes after posting that, I think we had like 20 orders, like in five minutes. And then since then it's, it's gotten to a point now where I almost am thinking about saying, okay, we need to chill this out for a minute. We have so many orders and so many people that are so thankful to have that, to be able to do for those people, you know, it just makes them feel empowered and, and uh, compassionate. And so I just get up at five and go and make a ton of coffee and then deliver it to the hospitals and, and, um, and the hospitals, I, I, what I, I almost get to tears every time I do it because I, what, what really strikes me is just how thankful these people are for something as simple as coffee. And I can't imagine what they're lacking. You know, if they're that thankful for coffee, I can't imagine how thankful they'd be for the proper equipment that they need and the masks that they need and that kind of thing. And, and, um, uh, it's, it's amazing just the, the reception that I get every morning and every evening when I deliver this coffee, you know, it's just, it's, it feels so good. And, uh, I'm so thankful to everyone that's, that's sponsored to deliver. I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Thank you so awesome. for that. Yeah. It's been so, so well awesome. received. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, um, man. Jeff, I got to think as, as John's laying that out there, I mean, you've been a huge part of creating spaces to congregate here, uh, in Montana, the skate parks, um, skateboarding is a really interesting activity. It gets people outside. It gets them congregating. Um, it's a risky activity. You can get injured. How have you kind of been thinking about that activity and, and the parks and, and how to be responsible right now? Well, I, I know that the Missoula Park right now has some, they put some signage up. I think the Parks Department put some signage up about a week ago. And I think it was like, you can still enjoy this place, but you got to be six feet apart and you got to be smart about it. Yeah. And um, and I know um, a lot of the older skaters have been repeating stuff uh, through their, you know, Instagram posts and stuff saying like, look, you guys are blowing it if, you know, if you guys are all going to sit in the corner next to each other, like they're going to close this thing and nobody's going to be able to do this. And so hopefully, you know, hopefully it's an exercise for young people to just sort of like understand, you know, like if they, you know, it's that, it's that thing. Like when you were a kid, if you screwed up, then the whole PE class had to run lines, right. <laughs> you know, and you don't want to be that guy. So, or that girl. So, um, um, you know, I, you know, I mean, that, that is a good thing about it is that you can, I mean, I, we, we drove up to the bison range yesterday just to, just to get out and hear some songbirds and, you know, see some animals and just get out of our 
house and um, we stopped in St. Ignatius to let the dogs out and I always stop and take a couple runs at the skate park and there was nobody there. And then a car pulled up and two kids got out and they kind of looked at their parents. They looked at me <laughs> like, and I said, Hey, I'm just about done. Like I said, I'm just going to take one more run and the park's all your guys you know, or whatever. So it was cool to see, like, I mean, it was like an eight year old and a 10 year old or something. And they, you could tell that they knew like, uh, maybe we shouldn't go over there next to that guy. Cause he could have the virus or, and so, um, you know, as long as everybody's responsible with how they're, handling things in the outdoors i think it's you know god i mean it's i feel so lucky to be here and to be able to like just go get on my bike by myself or walk the dogs you know out into the woods it's like i I, you know i couldn't imagine like when i was 23 years old living in an apartment building with four other people in the middle of a seattle winter if something like that happened you'd be like you'd be so screwed because you you'd be you'd literally be stuck in your apartment and you wouldn't have a job and you know and like a lot of people you know in cities right now you know they're just stacked on top of one another and that's that's kind of the thing that's 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 the reason why it's worse in new york and the reason that it's you know worse in milan and these places that you know that are getting hit so hard it's like thousands of people sharing an HVAC system, you know, there's, you cannot get away from it, you know? And so, um, you know, I feel so lucky to be out here, you know, just crazy. Me too. Yeah. We are definitely fortunate that we can get outside, get space and, you know, socially isolate responsibly, um, with, with so much ease relative to, to other places, that's for sure. And, you know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Jeff, that, um, it's really incumbent upon all of us to, to be leaders and to sort of just model good behavior. You know, the fact that that, that eight-year-old and that 10-year-old kid were kind of feeling that instinct to do the right thing is just, that's really yeah. great to hear, you know. So um, certainly super stoked that you guys were willing to share some of your time with us. And um, it's great to hear both of, of your voices and great to hear that you're both getting out there and making the best of a, of a tough situation. Um, we've talked about a lot of things that we can get sad about, a lot of things that we can get happy about. Um, but I'd love both of you to sort of end us with one thing that you're, you're hopeful about right now. Well, uh, I'll start and I'll, I'll say what's, what's made me hopeful. And I, and I'd like to just spread this message is that, um, you know, not, to, I hope I don't sound preachy when I say this, but, but, you know, with one Instagram post, I was able to provide, you know, hundreds of people and an avenue to help just just to give them the satisfaction of helping people on the front lines. And what what I notice is that we all like to get on social media and we like to point fingers and vent. And that feels really, really good for for a minute. But I think it gives you the illusion that you're actually doing something and, and, uh, you know, and, and in reality, it's not really getting anything done. And what I realized from posting that one Instagram post is that that's a really cool tool to use. And it was humbling for me because I'm that guy, you know, like I, I go on Twitter and, and, you know, vent and like do that kind of thing. And, and I realized, Oh, you know, let's, let's use this tool 
for good, you know, and, um, and I'm excited to see uh, the different ways that people are using it for good. And um, uh, because we are isolated, but we could have been isolated, you know, 20 years ago when we didn't have this beautiful internet <laughs> thing to keep us entertained, you know, and that, that, that would have made it really tough, you know, but now we have this thing and let's use this tool, you know, that we have. And, um, and then also as, as we were talking about, I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes, comes of this artistically, like all of the great hip hop, in my opinion, all of the great hip hop and all the great punk rock came out of times like this. Um, it wasn't because money was thrown at something. It was because quite the opposite. Uh, and it was out of, of doing the most with the least and hardship. And so I'm, I'm excited. So if there's something that pos that's positive, I think it's those two things, using this social media stuff for good and, and hopefully getting some great art out of this thing and some, some uh, stuff that, that's going to stand the test of time. Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's great, John. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm a lot of what you've said, I, I'm sort of echoing and, you know, I think in a, on a bigger picture thing, I, I think I hope that there's a big pivot in how we um, operate as a capitalist society. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think there's a, a, a part of me that just hopes that we need less stuff that's not essential and, and, and that we can, that allows us to sort of like pay more attention to one another and be more empathetic and, and not let like money and uh, sort of shallow things like dictate our being. I think, I think there's, I think there's a lot we can learn from this isolation and, and, uh, and just being more thoughtful with one another and caring for each other more. And um, I, you know, I, I feel a real connection to the whole world in a way that I don't know if I've ever felt in my entire life because I, I know people in Italy and I know people in Spain and I know people in these places that are getting hammered. And so, um, you know, you feel this, you feel this big connection to the whole planet and, and, um, and that's, that's kind of awesome. It's kind of, it's kind of awesome to sort of feel like you want to help your fellow man and you want to, you want to, you know, figure out ways, like if we get through this, like how can we do what we do better and, and be more appreciative for what, you know, we've been given and, and use those tools to just help fellow man, you know, I mean, there's, there's, you know, before this happened, there's, there's so much, um, there's so much poverty and there's so much, uh, and there's so many people that are struggling that it's like, it's, you know, I just, I just feel like I want to do more and I want to figure out ways to do that better and to do more of it. And, and, um, you know, hopefully everybody comes out of it with the same thing in mind. So thank That's you guys. Yeah. Thanks to the two of you. You're, you're such important voices in our community. People, you know, love hearing from you and love the leadership you brought to, to make this particular place um, and other places better. Can't thank you enough for spending some time w with me today. 
And um, yeah, be well, stay safe. I look forward to a time um, when I'm part of a crowd watching you guys on stage do your thing. So um, hopefully that'll be sooner than later. Yeah, man. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Justin. Okay. That was super fun, thought-provoking and inspirational. Check out Pearl Jam's Gigaton. It is an amazing album. Listen to all the feels, the latest from Fitz and the Tantrums. Sponsor a drum coffee delivery. But most importantly, take care of yourself and others. Be well and take good care. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, our awesome interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson, Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO for the tunes, and finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.